have you ever felt like you were just such a failure and like nothing's going right? I'm a pretty confident person, but I've had those moments too, and it's like I've just wanted to beat myself up and condemn myself. And then all of a sudden, I'll hear one of these major ministers, major ministries, and they'll tell something. The Holy Spirit will move on them and tell about one of their biggest failures. And I, I think, oh my goodness, if they can make it, I can make it. You know, if, if they can, if they can mess up like that and make it through, I can too. And it gives me hope. And I just felt led today to give you a couple of things. One, to give you hope, but two, show you how to get through some of these major mistakes that I've made, these major failures that I've had in my Christian walk. Show you what I did to get through those. And uh, if you have any questions, make sure to drop those in the, in the comments. This is probably not a, a complete list, a com comprehensive list of my failures, but it's some of the biggest ones that came to mind. And uh, so hopefully not only will it give you hope, but it also show you don't do what I did. Don't do these things because it was a mistake. And uh, so one of the biggest things that I had, just jumping right in, one of the biggest things that I had was um, I was, when I was in high school and heading towards the Marines out of high school, uh, you know, I, you'd hear these stories about people drinking and smoking, and one of the things that I, I, in so much pride, I thought, well, I can probably smoke and not get addicted, and uh, I, can, I can quit it. I feel confident in my willpower. I could quit it pretty easily, and so in pride, I started smoking. Stupid, stupid, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what I found was as I moved into the Marines and I carried on in that, I got completely addicted to smoking. And uh, literally, I was, I was, now I'm a believer, but I am not chasing after God at this point. And, uh, you know, I, I was very convicted. I was in condemnation all the time, and I was really struggling with it. And praise God, I got to a place where I just, you know, later on, a few years later, I hit my knees in my apartment. I said, Lord, I, I can't do this without you. This is not working. God helped me through that. Uh, but until I got to that place, uh, man, I just struggled with this. And I struggled. And honestly, I, I will tell you now, I was an alcoholic. Um, I, I wouldn't have told you that then. I wouldn't have even thought that then, but I was. Um, at one point, I was went to... I went to um, uh, basically, I went to the elders of the church I was going at, and I was so convicted about smoking, I said, listen, I want this gone. I want it gone, and I believe if you lay hands on me tonight, it was a men's meeting we were having, if you lay hands on me tonight, uh, this smoking will be removed supernaturally from my life. They laid hands on me, they prayed, and guess what? It was supernaturally gone. Literally, I had no other real desire for that completely broken in an instant by the prayer of faith. It was awesome. And uh, then about a year later, I got into a jam where I was worried about some stuff, and I went and bought a pack of cigarettes and got back into it again. And I was like the dumbest thing ever. that I, It was so stupid. And uh, I went before the elders again, and guess what? It didn't work that time. Why? Because my conscience uh, was broken on that, so my faith wasn't wasn't working on that. I'm just writing down another failure that I have that I just remembered. And uh, so anyway, I went and it didn't work. And uh, I said, Lord, 
and I just knew, I kind of knew on the inside, like, it's not going to work. I'm going to have to put this down. Actually, it was a great exercise for me because I learned how to take that addiction and take that thought captive and put it down. And uh, one of the things in drinking and smoking that I really was able, that really helped me was the Lord, the Lord said this to me. I said, Lord, why am I having trouble with this? Why, why am I not, you know, why has this been so hard? And uh, the Lord spoke to me right there. He says, it's hard because you like to do the things that, you, that you're wanting to stop. You like them, you want them. And I realized right then, of course, God was right. I did want them. I enjoyed the fleshly side of those addictions. And I enjoyed it. And I said, Lord, I don't want to like it. I, I know you're right, but I don't want that. I want... You know, when I was reminded of Paul in Romans chapter 7, the thing I don't want to do, I do. And he was, he was you know, facing something similar like that. And um, I don't know exactly what he was facing at that moment, but I know the feeling of being in that position. And uh, I, he said, you want it. He said, you need, and he helped me. He said, you need to want me more than you want that. And when I, when I saw that, I immediately agreed with it but I wasn't there yet. And he said, you need to want me more than you want smoking, more than you want drinking. And I said, okay, then I'll, then I'll do that. And I started focusing on that. And eventually I fell in love with God again on such a level that I wanted him more than that. And one of the things also that helped me was that I saw that, uh, for example, by this time we had, we had kids, and uh, you know, I was like, I don't want them to grow up in a household that smells like smoke with a dad who's drinking. I don't want them to have to have a hurdle to jump over. And that helped me in my desire as well. So, and that was the Lord helping me find some logical pieces that would say, I really don't want this. I don't want this. I do want this godliness. And as I made that transition and I renewed my mind to what I really wanted, which was godliness, and it came out of my spirit, uh, then that helped me to overcome that. Um, now, one of those times, it was interesting, while I was still doing that, and uh, if there's a question, I'm not able to read them all, so y'all let me know, but um, one of those times, uh, Nicole and I had gotten married, and uh, she, we went to a store. We had no money, basically, whatsoever, but somehow I kept finding it to buy cigarettes, and, um, you know, of course, it's like, if you want to sin, it's funny how the devil will, I'll, you look at it sometimes like, how in the world did I have so much money to buy the things I didn't need to, and I wasted it on all, all these things, and then when I stop it, you feel like you don't have any. It's like, where did that money come from? It's funny how the devil will get you enough, uh, enough money to keep you addicted. And this is something that he does. He allows you just enough when he knows that you'll do wrong with it, right? And he'll, he'll, he doesn't mind you having enough, and you'll find it. You'll find ways to do that. I would find ways to buy those packs of cigarettes. And, uh, but then, Nicole, one day, so a pack of cigarettes, I think, was like 2 or $3. I generally get, you know, uh, one, two, or three at a time or something like that. And Nicole found a purse that she wanted, and it was $7. 
And in that moment, I said, no, we don't have money to get that. And she said, but you got money to get cigarettes. I was like, that's different. <laughs> really? And, man, we had a probably the worst argument of our marriage <laughs> that day. And, uh, you know, and you know how we solved it, which wasn't really a solution. Uh, we both drank and we got drunk. And uh, then we just fought all the more. It was a horrible night, absolutely horrible. And, um, you know, it was some things that we needed to clear up. And I think, you know, sometimes when you understand that, oh, my gosh, pastor and pastors went through this. Yeah, we were young and stupid at one point. And uh, that's, that's something that you realize is, you know what, God was there trying to help us. At that point, we were rejecting that help, at least on some level, we didn't know it, but we were, and uh, we had to figure that out. We had to figure out, and as we spent time in, in church, we spent time in the Word, uh, we've started to figure those things out. And, uh, but we have, you have to realize, that's why you'll hear me say uh, this four-part solution is, God, I need you, I want you, I have you, and I thank you. Uh, God, I need you. I want you, I have you, and I thank you. And those four, four pieces are this. You recognize your need for God. We have to recognize our need for God. Then we have to not just recognize our need for God, but we have to get to the place where we desire him, right? It's one thing to recognize, yep, I need God, but then you can still be at the place where you don't desire him or his uh, input in your life. So you have to have those two different pieces of revelation. One, I can't do this without you, God. I need you. Two, I want you. I want you. And, and I learned that by giving up the, the smoking. Lord, I want you more than I want this other thing. And then you have the step of faith. I believe that I have received. I have you. And then, of course, we don't want to forget that, Lord, I thank you. So, Lord, I need you. Four steps. I need you. I want you. I have you now by faith, and Lord, I thank you. Thank you for helping me out. And those things, when we get those things and our heart resolved to that, our mind renewed to those things, it really helps us to move forward. Uh, but think about in that how selfish and how prideful was it for me to tell Nicole uh, that, no, we don't have money to spend on that purse. Like, I, did I show as much priority to her she hadn't gotten anything new in a while. We were brand new married, got no money, not you know, not making anything, and and here it is. I, if I could find money for cigarettes, the least I could do was give up a, a couple of packs so she could give get a purse. But no, it was it was different because it was me, right? It was one of my worst moments. It was one of the worst failures that I've ever had in my life, and uh, it was it was not great. <laughs> But the Lord did help us out. He helped both of us out, of course. And the biggest thing that we ended up doing was uh, in that next year, going to a church, renewing that fellowship and relationship with other people and the accountability and growing in the word. And, and God knows we need that. We need accountability in our lives. All right, so then uh, one of the things that happened uh, after that was we were in actually this church that we went to uh, we were in this church, and the church, we felt like, just wasn't moving forward. It, it said, um, you know, basically every Sunday morning was a salvation message only, either salvation, be filled with the Holy Ghost, 
but there was no steps for practical living. Now, that's what we thought. Yeah, <laughs> Nicole says, he has since bought me many purses. That is true. Uh, that is true. And uh, mom says, praise God for a new life in him. Amen. Um, so anyway, we're at this church, and we're just stagnant. We're not growing. Um, the I, I don't know all the reasons behind this, but uh, regardless of it, we weren't growing. And we ran into somebody who was really teaching on the practical things of life, very similar to what we do here at Boomerang all the time. And, uh, you know, but I went, and what I should have done was I should have gone and talked to my pastor. But I didn't. I just left. It was one of the biggest failures of my life. I, I, I should have done that. I should have talked to him. Another time, uh, you know, I, even when Nicole and I got married, this is one of the biggest things that I never— that I did wrong was, and, and you know, I totally don't believe this is the right way to do it. But I was thinking uh, when I when I asked her to marry me, I didn't go to her dad. I should have gone to her dad and asked for permission. I didn't do that. Years later, I went back. I said, "Listen, I just want to tell you, I am so sorry because I, I realized I should have I should have honored you. I should have asked for her hand in marriage." I know that that might not be the custom like it used to be, but it's what honor does. It's what right, proper communication and humility does. And I went back and I just apologized. He said, you were fine. You know, everything worked out great. And he said, but thank you for telling me. And, and so if you ever do find yourself where you've messed something up, make sure that you go back to it and you, and you deal with those things. Don't just leave them hanging. You know, if you've done somebody wrong, go back to them and, Tell them, hey, I'm I'm sorry that I did this, especially if God uh, prompts you to do that. Amen. Sydney says, message is so special to me right now. Amen. Glory to God. You know, and there are reasons for somebody to leave a church, but they're very few. It's not most people today. It's just like they they leave a church just like they leave one store to go to another store. That's not the way it's supposed to be. It's church is not meant to be marketed. Church is meant to be a place where God plates places you and plants you. And the very least, I could have honored that pastor with communication. This is one of those things that was a constant error, and it's still an error I see in churches all over the place is there's no there's no covenant revelation where people actually communicate properly anymore. And without a without communication, you really don't have true fellowship. You don't have submission to one another. You don't have honor to one another. You need to communicate. We've talked about it here on the broadcast and in and in this team uh, multiple times. It's like, do you need to tell the team or ask the team uh, if you can go on vacation at a certain time? No, it's not a requirement, and they shouldn't control your life. But if you consider yourself as a part of the team, then that team is affected by you. And if you're not there, they're affected by that. And so just for, if you have regard for the other parts of the team, what do you do? You communicate. A team communicates. A team becomes a family. A team really isn't a team unless it it is a family, and it can't be a family if it's not communicating in that way. And so this is where we humble ourselves to one another and we communicate. And so when we left that church, it was right for us to go. It was right for us in this moment to go to another church, uh, which I won't get into all the details of that. 
But I should have communicated that. I should have communicated that. And I didn't. And it was, you know, the Lord brought me back to it. And later on, I went back. I said, listen, I'm sorry that I didn't do that. I apologize. And uh, one, one other time, I was in another church. This is years later. I hadn't learned the lesson yet. This is where I learned the lesson of communication, the biggest, was I was in a church. And um, I, we wanted to do, somebody asked me to come to their Bible study. They asked me to come to their Bible study. Uh, the problem was where they were having the Bible study, I knew that they had animals in the house all over the place. And it's one thing to have animals in the house. It's another thing if the animals are constantly like doing their business in the house and it's gross and all that kind of stuff. I didn't want to go there. And, I, and so I said, why don't we just have the Bible study at our house? That'd be fine with us. It wasn't my Bible study. I wasn't leading it. Um, you know, they, people were coming over uh, there. Now, here's what I want you to see. I did not bring that to my pastor. I was planted in a body. I should have seen myself as one with that body and in that family and in that team. But I didn't bring that Bible study to him. And you think, well, you shouldn't have to bring a Bible study to your pastor. Really? Are you not that much of a, of a team member and not that much of a family member in that way? Doesn't that pastor, have, isn't he anointed to have oversight in my life to see things I can't see, right? And, uh, and, but here was my thought process. If I ask him, I know that we're supposed to have this Bible study. But if I ask him, I know he's going to tell me no. But I know this is of God. But see, here's, here's where we miss that. And so I just didn't ask him. I had the Bible study. Turned out to be one of the worst mistakes ever that I ever made because it set me up to look like I was doing something wrong. It put me in a position where I could be accused. I didn't do anything wrong, but I could be accused. Whereas had I brought it to him, it would take away that accusation. And I messed that. I messed it up. And one of the worst things I ever did. And it seemed like I, had, I, I was right. It seemed like I wasn't wrong in that. But see, I wasn't submitted. I wasn't yielded to him as a pastor in that way. If I was, I would have given it to him, regardless of what I thought he did. See, what, what I thought he was going to choose. Now, this is something that was very interesting, was that I learned this later. I did not know this then, but I learned this later, is that by me, when I had the potential in my hand of what God wanted me to do, when I take it to my pastor, that responsibility of the decision ceases to be in my hands. I, when I properly take it upline, so to speak, to the people that are called and anointed over my life, I pass that responsibility into their hands. I no longer am responsible for it. I have done my job. Now, see, where the devil tricks many people is it's like, God told me to do this. I got to do this regardless of what anybody says. No, he's given you something that you need to submit to God's system. And, and when you submit it to God's system, you'll be blessed and you are free and clear of everything because you handled that responsibility correctly. No matter what they decide, yes or no, that's now on them. And if it's the wrong decision, that's on them, not on you. And so that's the beauty of this communication, but I did it wrong, and it cost us. We got accused of some ugly stuff, 
and we opened the door to that. It was our fault, and uh, I didn't know it. My heart was pure on that. I wasn't like trying to do the wrong thing. I just didn't know, but it was a big failure, and praise God, we learned from it and went forward. One of the things that happened around the same uh, period of time was uh, Nicole and I had been believing God to be out of debt uh, for quite some time, and we literally got to the place where we were completely out of debt. I mean, we were completely out of debt. Can you? And I want you to see, you see how there's like this little thread of rebellion that's in all these failures? There's a thread of rebellion. There's a thread of pride. There's a thread of arrival mentality. I feel like I have arrived at some place, and now I know what to do. And, how to, and you have to watch those things. Anytime you sense pride, rebellion, lack of communication, uh, any arrival mentality, anytime you start to feel those, you should snap to, wake up to that, and, and generally go the opposite direction. And uh, so one of the things that I saw here was we had uh, gotten to the place where we were out of debt. And, um, but, but even though we were out of debt, uh, we still weren't like out of the woods financially yet. It was still tough. And I'm, I made one of the biggest mistakes that we ever made, and this was my call, it was my mistake, was I saw where um, the word says, this is Corban in the King James, which means given to God. And, and, it, and one of the things I saw too was if your donkey was in a ditch on Sunday, wouldn't you get him out? And I was thinking, you know, my financial donkey was in a ditch. And it's like, okay, this money that is Corban, it's given to God. He was saying the whole point of that context is you say that this money is given to God, but you have family members that are in need. You should give it to the family member. So I combined those two verses out of context, and there was a part I didn't know about that. And I said, listen, if financially we have a need, we're saying that this money is given to God, but it needs to go to meet. If it can go to other family members, it should go and meet our needs too. And Nicole and I stopped tithing. And, and when, we made, when we did that, <laughs> when we stopped tithing, it was just a matter of months before we were back in debt. And I'm telling you, it was worse than it was before. And what I had missed was this. I admit that the way of God is not to take the tithe away and to steal it. Yeah, buddy, put a downward trend. That's exactly what happened. And uh, it, it's not to take the tithe away. The tithe is a part of getting that blessing. It's showing that I honor and esteem God and trust him to help us out. And I, I misinterpreted scripture. And the, I went back to the Lord. I said, Lord, where did we miss this? Where did we miss this? And he said, you missed it when you stopped tithing. I said, but I thought that that's right. And he took me back to the Corban scripture. He said, who, who was able to determine where this money goes? He said, who determined, when in the scripture where it talks about Corban, who determines where it goes and, and how much it was? I said, well, the person determined. He said, do you determine where the tithe goes, and do you determine how much it is? And I went, oh my goodness, and I saw it. No, I said, in tithing, it goes to the storehouse, which is basically the local church, and, and I, the percentage is set, 10% of your increase. 
I said, that's already set and set. He said, when in that scripture talking about Corban, that's not their tithe, that's their offering. And if you took away the tithe from where it's supposed to be and the percentage, then you have crossed and, and you're stealing from, from the Lord, like Malachi 3 says. And I went, oh my goodness. And I saw it and we just repented. And, uh, but that was one of the biggest mistakes that we ever made. Uh, financially, and we were out of debt. We were completely out of debt and uh, went right back in. And uh, literally, that it cost us for years and years, and we're believing for that final wipeout of debt to be done now, but that was a major mistake in our, in our lives. Uh, so let's see here, going down my list. I made it a little bit down. All right, so this was one of, this uh, mistake, this mistake was, uh, this one was a large one. It took me some years. I was, I was actually called to minister, and I knew about it. I didn't understand it all, but at the age of nine, and at the age of 11 or 12, I knew I was probably supposed to pastor. Uh, but then I'd watch my mom and dad go through quite a challenge while they were pastoring in Greensboro, and I'd watch them go through that. Of course, that that prompted some fear to be in me. And then I could remember my dad saying, you know, you, you have to be perfect to be in the pulpit. You practically have to be perfect to be in the pulpit. And so then in my, in my adult years, once I hit my knees and I turned back to God, that call to preach came right back on me so very quick. And when I moved into, when I moved in close to preaching and close to that calling, all of a sudden, the fear of being perfect would come up because I knew that I wasn't perfect. And what happened was I would come right up to that calling, and then I'd get in fear because I knew I wasn't perfect, and, and I would run away from the calling because I, I was scared. I didn't want myself hurt. I didn't want to lose my marriage. I didn't want to lose all this. So fear was motivating me. Uh, and one of the biggest mistakes you can ever make is allow fear to motivate you or move you. Put that in the comments. The, one of the biggest mistakes you can ever make is to move based off of fear. And one of the things, and this is why the Lord said to me as I was figuring these things out, he said, learn to recognize the emotion of fear. If you'll learn to recognize when fear pops up its head in your thoughts, then you'll uh, recognize that and you can determine which way is the proper way to go. It helps you to discern what's actually happening at that moment. Learn to recognize the emotion of fear. Put that also in the comments. And so I would move on fear. And I started this pattern where I would go after God for six months and then I would run and listen, I would completely turn and I'd go, I'd go hang out with my buddies, leave my wife at home, you know, go hang out with my buddies in Charlotte or wherever, uh, drink and smoke cigarettes, play cards all night, you know, do all this wrong stuff. And then I'd get, I'd feel so bad because I had a call on my life and I'd be condemned and, uh, and all of a sudden I'd repent and then I'd, I'd get close, and I'd get close to that call. I'd start growing in the Lord, get close to that call again. I'd get scared again, and then I'd fall back off and do it again. And after doing this same process, you know, way too many times, uh, it was a huge failure in my life, wasted years in my life of this, uh, but it did teach me a lot. And, and I did learn from it, but that's not the way. Listen, 
Your failures are not anointed to teach you. The Holy Spirit is anointed to teach you. But we can pick up some things while we're there. So if you find yourself in the place of failure, learn some stuff. That, you know, Don't just let it be wasted time. Learn from it so you never have to do that again. And so then all of a sudden, uh, what I realized, one day I'd completed this cycle again, and I was so frustrated with myself. I can remember sitting in my car, and um, I can remember sitting in... Uh, my car, let me write this down real quick. And I said, Lord, um, why? I said, why? And why am I doing this? Why am I repeating this cycle? And I remember asking that question. Now, I kind of been asking that question for a long time, but I got into the place where I was like, I'm done with this. Like, tell me, I need to know why. And when I got serious with God, he got serious with me. And, and I got to that place and he said, you're scared. Well, the interesting thing about that was that I was, I had just gone through a whole process of about six months of working out fear. In other words, I realized fear was a great enemy to, to me, to my family, to God. I don't need to have it in my life. And I'd literally tried to go down the list of every fear that I have and put it, put it out of my life. And I'd gotten to the place where I knew I was not cognizant of any fear being in my life. I had no fear because I knew that I was in Christ. Perfect love cast out all fear. I was at the place where I could not identify any fear in my life. I asked the Lord, why am I going through this? And he goes, you're scared. And I went, and I literally, this was my response. I said, of what? Of what? What am I afraid of? And of course, just in a godlike fashion, he, he hits the nail on the head, puts his finger right on. He said, you are scared, you are fearful of the responsibility of ministry. And I was like, and you know, it's like when the Lord hits you right between the eyes. I was like, oh, you know, he's like, you're right. <laughs> I am scared of that. I didn't know it. I had no idea. You are so right. And when when that happened, I went, oh, Lord. And, and then he helped me. He said, he said, listen, he said, I knew, he said, I knew that you were going to go through all of this. Well, before he said, okay, wait, the first thing he said to me is this. He said, if you had to be perfect to stand in the pulpit and minister, who would preach? And I went, Oh my gosh. <laughs> like just, you know, godlike fashion. He asks you one question, it just unravels all the deception. You know, it's just beautiful. He said, if you had to be perfect to stand in the pulpit and preach, who would preach? And I went, Nobody. He said, Right. He said, That's that wasn't me. I didn't say that. He said, No, but you should, of course, and later on you go through scripture, you see different things. He said, You should be constantly putting to death the deeds of the flesh and believing in the protection of God. Let listen, abide, listen, and obey every day, and I'll keep you in that right place. And I realized, oh my goodness. And that just solved it. I realized I didn't have to be perfect to be in that pulpit. I just needed to be faithful and obedient and willing. I just had to be in that place. Stay in the place of humility. I have to stay in the place of humility. 
But then the Lord said this to me, help me so much. And, and so I, in one of my biggest failures ever, and this is when it broke. This is when the power of that cycle got broken, was right in this moment. And he, and he said this. He said, listen, he said, I knew that, he said, I knew you were going to go through this cycle over and over and over again. I knew you were going to go through it when I called you to preach, and I still called you. And I saw the mercy of God. I just started tearing up. I was like, oh, my gosh, Lord. Like, you knew all of that. You knew how much I would mess up, and you knew I would be a terrible witness, and you knew all that, and you still called me to preach, even knowing all of that? And then I thought about it. I was like, who doesn't he know that about? He knows all the junk, all the garbage, and yet he still calls us to be a part of his family. And I saw for the first time a real revelation of the mercy of God and the, and the goodness of God. And it's not that he was pleased with those moments. He wasn't pleased, but he loved me more than his being displeased, and he gave me a helping hand if I wanted it to come up out of that. The question is, will we take his hand and come up out of those things? But that was a big failure, which the Lord turned into a great success. Another thing that happened, one of the greatest failures that I had, and I didn't realize I had this, and this comes down to identity, was I was sitting in the car with uh, my pastor at one point, and we're talking about some things and talking about faith and probably talking about why my faith isn't working and all of this. And, um, and, and he, I said something, and he said, uh, I forget what he asked me, but my answer was this. I was like, well, we're in the animal kingdom. Like, we're in the animal kingdom. That was my answer to something he had asked. And my pastor goes, no, we're not. <laughs> no, we're not. And I went, and, and he says, no, we're not. You're not in the animal kingdom. And I realized that all this time in school, I'd been told I was in the animal kingdom, and I had adopted that theology and that doctrine above what the word says. And if you go into Genesis and look in creation, you'll see that God made all the animals on a certain day. And then that day is over. All the animals were made that day. You weren't made on that day. You were made on the day that God made man a little bit lower than God. You are not in the animal class. You are in the God class, you see. And, and of course, that comes back to our identity in Christ and who we're made and how we're made and what our capacity is. But my failure was that I went for so many years believing uh, in my identity was made in the image and likeness of animals and not in the image and likeness of God, even though if you'd said it like that, I would have not agreed with that, but I had believed that. That was quite a big failure. Uh, so another failure that I had was, now I want you to see this. I had no idea about this. Yeah, amen. Hannah said, I am in the God class. Put that in the comments. You are in the God class. Say, I am in the God class. And uh, one of the things that I had, so when my parents got divorced, I was 13 or 14, and uh, I did not know this. This, is a, this was a major revelation to me. 27 years later, 27 years later, I'm in a service, and actually, I was uh, Pastor Robert Morris in, uh, from Gateway in uh, Texas. I was in a service at a leadership conference, and he preaches on 
the root of bitterness. And I'm sitting there the whole time thinking, Lord, I don't, if I have a root of bitterness, I don't know it. I was like, this is a good message, though. And, uh, and I'm, I'm humbling myself. Humility, put this in the comments. Humility is such a big key. Humility is such a big key. I mean, it is a huge key in a believer's life. We need to be humble. We need to be the most humble we could ever be. And uh, so then we, I'm sitting there, and I am being humble. I'm being as humble as I can be. I'm listening to him like, this is a great message. And uh, then I get to the end. He says, now, if you've had a root of bitterness in your life, you want to be free of it, I want you to stand up right now. And so I said, Lord, I said, if I have a root of bitterness, I don't know anything about it. I, I, I'm unaware of it. But if you show me something, I'll be happy to give that up. And nothing happened. I didn't hear anything. Nothing was there. And about 30 seconds later, all of a sudden, like nothing happened for about 30 seconds. I'm thinking, I felt free and clear. I didn't have any, any uh, condemnation over that. I didn't have any. I felt like I was good. And about 30 seconds later, because I had asked that question in humility, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit speaks to me in that still small voice and says, you have this root of bitterness all the way back to where your parents got divorced. And when he said that, I knew exactly what he was talking about. And, uh, and, and as soon as he did, I went, oh, my gosh. And I mean, just tears started flowing. Tears started flowing. And, and I stood up on my feet. And I, right in that moment, I said, Lord, I give you this root of bitterness. And I did everything that I needed to do to deal with that. And, and what was interesting, now watch this. There's two things I want you to see that were failures leading up to this point that I didn't even know I had. I had no idea that I'd done it, was the failure was, number one, I had been carrying that root of bitterness for 27 years, and I had no idea why. Why would I have no idea? And that what that means is, like, I'm trying to put on humility, but obviously, it's obvious, I had not allowed myself to see that. I had not allowed myself to see that, and I had not judged myself properly. On some level, I had been in pride on that issue where I couldn't even see that thing. Praise God for the Holy Spirit's help and mercy and grace. And, uh, but here's the other thing is when that I dealt with that root of bitterness and gave it over to the Lord and he t- took it out of my life, that I had person after person through the years that said something happened right here in your life and you became like a different person. So what that means is the fruit of my life and the fruit that everybody else could see was wrong before that, and it was clean after that moment, which means I wasn't judging myself properly. On some level, my failure was pride had blinded me that I had an issue. And that's where we want to give ourselves to humility. Don't fall for that failure, but give ourselves to humility and say, look, you know, Lord, help me see anything that I need to see so that I can get it cleaned up. And don't carry that thing. Think about that. Now, hear this. I had carried this for 27 years. And as soon as the Lord spoke what it was to me, I, it was like it was just like when he said, you're, you're afraid of the responsibility of preaching. It was like he hit the nail on the head. I knew instantly I was guilty of carrying that root of bitterness. I knew exactly what it was when it came. I knew exactly what it was. Now, think about this, but I couldn't see it. 
which means in some way my my uh, in my soul I was blocking that. I'm in pride. I'm not judging myself properly. Everybody else could tell an instant change in me when I got that done, when I got that fixed. That means I was not judging myself properly. Now watch this. 27 years, the moment when this happened, I'm a pastor. I'm preaching. I've sat in thousands, thousands of meetings, faith-filled, anointing-filled meetings, and still miss this thing. Right? That told me I need to be a little bit more uh, allow myself to see that I could have an issue, that I could have a problem in my flesh, man, and stop acting like I've arrived, right? I, I definitely had an arrival mentality, even though it wasn't on purpose and it wasn't like super prideful. There was at least a little bit of pride that felt like I had arrived some. That little bit was holding me back. I'm telling you, when that happened, our ministry went to a new level. Our life, uh, joy hit our life like never before. Everything just like came at ease. And that's why you'll hear me say uh, from Matthew chapter 11 is if it's not easy and light, it's a symptom. It's a symptom that uh, something is not going right in your life. So Buddy said, how did you get that fixed once I noticed it? All I did was in that moment, I simply, I simply said, Lord, I give this to you. And I believe that I received that root of bitterness gone from my life. I knew it was gone by faith. I gave it over to the Lord. I believed I received it. But then I dealt with it and I made sure I, it, involved, it involved my parents. And I got, I got them both on the phone and I said, listen, I apologize. I did this wrong. I've carried this. I didn't know it was there or I would have talked to you about it before, but I went, I repented over that, I dealt with it. And it basically, whatever the Lord brought up to me to be obedient in, I did that. And, and then I, it handled, and I literally felt the joy come into my life as that root uh, was released. But up until that point, it was, a, it was a big victory when the Lord helped me. But before that, it was quite a failure on my part to miss it in that way. So, all right, let's... Uh, going on to the next one. Oh, this is a huge one. This is one who I've gotten layers of revelation on. And this right here, you want to talk about something that can hurt you is what I'm about to say. This was a big failure and I didn't realize how big of a failure. I even had something this year the Lord pointed out to me. I had no idea about that it was hurting me and harming me. One time years ago, I had... Uh, uh, I, I knew of a minister, and the minister I knew had understanding of the Holy Ghost, but he shied away from the power of the Holy Ghost. And so I found myself, uh, like people are asking me questions, and they were asking me specific questions about this minister, and I found myself basically saying, yeah, that minister is telling you wrong. He's doing it wrong. This is a majorly known minister. I said, and and I started judging and actually being mad in my heart towards that minister. And I'm telling you, the Lord came in and corrected me. He said, who are you? That man is called by me and anointed by me. And who are you to judge him? And I, I mean, the Lord, he it, that was the strongest the Lord had ever talked to me. And I realized, whoo, I have messed up. I have crossed the line. 
Well, as time went on, I had I, I tried to immediately change, and I did. I changed the way I did it. But what I realized was I still had a judgment, a wrong judgment in my heart uh, towards people and towards people uh, that would, may be ministering. And over the years, although I never spoke that strongly again, I would have times where I would talk about that or talk about a minister, and I would see literally my life come under attack by that thing. And uh, recently, just this year, I said, and, and it's interesting to me, this is the interesting part, how strongly God spoke to me about this. Like this is, you know, when he says, touch not my anointed, I don't know if you can notice just in the way that that's written, touch not my anointed, it's almost like a, this is an absolute, don't do this. It's kind of the way it's even worded and said it. I can tell you from experience, that's how he means it. <laughs> touch not my anointing. You start laying your words and your heart judgments against somebody who's anointed by God, even if they're wrong, even if they are wrong, you start putting it there, that is not good news for you, all right? And uh, even this year, I said, Lord, this is an attack that seems to just have been going on for quite some time. I said, what is this? Why is it lingering? And he said, it's lingering because you've been judging the ministers in this way. And, and the way that he told me I was judging, I was like, I didn't even think that was judging. I thought I was, I thought I was just telling some facts. And he was like, no, you're judging. And when I, when I broke it down and I really prayed over it in the Holy Ghost, I saw how that was still judgment in my heart. And it was keeping the door open to a judgment against me because I was judging wrongly. And I went, whoa, wow, Lord, I repent right now. And one of the, my greatest successes is learn to repent quickly. Don't linger in your repentance. I mean, as soon as you think you need to repent, I mean, you can stop with, Lord, I repent. I repent right now in Jesus' name. I'll never do that again. I thank you for showing me, and uh, I receive your forgiveness right now. Repent quickly. Put that in the comments. A big success. Repent quickly. Uh, and repentance doesn't mean just that you're sorry that you got called. Repentance means you'll never do it that way again. You're making a conscious decision, an eternal decision. I will not do that again. It's a change of heart. And judging ministers, this is a major, major ordeal with God. And he is not, he, he does not take that lightly. It's serious enough where he, I'm telling you, when he spoke to me on, on judging ministers, and touching his anointed men and women of God with my lips and with my speech and with my thoughts even, and I'm judging them wrongly, he is, that's the strongest he's ever spoken to me. It is a major, major deal, and it is something nobody wants to do. Uh, here's another, gracious, I'm like halfway through the list here. Uh, another, and I'm trying to give them to you as fast as I can, um, another major thing that I did was uh, there's a statement that says, pray as if it's all up to God and work as if it's all up to you. And there is truth in that statement. There's truth in that statement. But here, here's the thing, though. The work as if it's all up to you can lead many people to say, 
I need to act like God's not there and work my guts out to get that done. Well, I had heard that statement. I'd given myself to that statement. That's not really scripture. See, I need to work as if it's still all up to God. I work and I give God my all. I do everything as unto the Lord. But if my work and the out, outcome of my work is up to me, I'm limited. But if, if my work is actually given to God, then I'm believing him to give me the increase. So I don't work according to it all being up to me. I work like that increase and in production is all up to him. So I pray as if it's all up to God, and I work as if it's all up to God, which is what Buddy put a second ago. That's the proper attitude. But before my failure was, before I knew that difference, I was working like it was all up to me, and I was working my guts out, and I couldn't seem to get all my work done. And so before you know it, I'm working on Sunday. I'm working on Saturday. I'm working, working, working. And of course, what happens? I start to get worn. I start to get worn out. I start to get to the place where I am not working well. Uh, now, and literally, my body starts shutting down, right? I'm working too much. I'm not having rest. I'm not giving my brain a rest. Mentally, I'm starting to become like jello, all of this. It literally led me to the place where I was working five days. I was working seven days a week. Then I could only work six days. And then I could only function and process five days and then four days, and then three days, and then two days. Like literally, I got to the place where I could work two days, and then I would be like a zombie for the other five days of the week. I was, I believe, in my opinion, I was killing myself, and I didn't know it because I, I took all the weight on myself. I took all of that on my own shoulders. Well, that's ungodly, and, and the, my mistake was, that I was carrying the burden for everything. I wasn't casting my cares. I wasn't being anxious for nothing. I was being anxious in everything, right? And uh, I went to the Lord and I said, Lord, what do I need to do? Like, this is wrong. This is not working. And this is after we moved to Almoral. This is like in 2005, 2006. And at this point, praise God for a praying wife and a faithful wife and a wife who wasn't nagging me because that would have made it worse. She just went to God in prayer. She started praying in faith. She started, she started lifting me up and uh, praying over me, anointing, anointing me in my sleep, anointing my pillow. She started praying and not holding it against me. Glory to God. Glory to God. And so then, uh, all of a sudden, after she started praying, that's when I kind of woke up to it and I saw. And her, I believe her prayers Help me open my eyes and see what was actually happening. But before that, it was a huge failure. And I talked to the Lord. I said, Lord, what is it you want me to do? He says, you need to take a Sabbath and honor me. It's not your day. It's not work's day. It's my day. And of course, I'll tell you, I want him to put the link in the comments. We'll put it in the description of the whole thing as well. If you haven't seen the teaching on the Sabbath, this is a major, major blessing. The Sabbath carries with it huge, huge blessings if we will honor the Sabbath. And the Sabbath is not a, is not a covenant that's done away with at the cross. It's an eternal covenant, right? It was before the law and it's after the law. Remember, where was the first Sabbath taken? In the garden. 
long before the law, when, when there was no redemption needed because there was no sin yet, the Sabbath still took place, right? And so one of the things is the Lord said, I want you to honor me on the Sabbath and not work. I said, Lord, I don't have time to not work on the Sabbath. I'm behind as it is. And the Lord's answer basically was, you don't have time not to take the Sabbath and honor me on that day. He said, how's it, you know, that's what you've been doing. How's it working for you? I went, well, you got a point there. Not too good. He said, and this is what he told me directly. If you will trust, if you will take the Sabbath and show by faith that you trust me, then I will be able to multiply the work that you do in the other days. It's kind of like the tithe. If you will take the tithe and you will trust God to give him that 10% increase, he will make the other 90%. He will, he will take it and multiply it so it will fulfill all those needs. And so I, I did it. As soon as he said it, I was quick to change and quick to repent. I did that instantaneously everything started to turn. Everything started to turn. And I started resting in God and being in faith in God. But up till then, it was definitely uh, not the greatest thing. So i tell you what we're going to do. I've got quite a few of these other failures. And I feel like we want to talk some more about this. So tomorrow, I'm going to come back and I'm going to, you know, my biggest failures part two. And we're going to talk about that. And uh, I want you, if you have any questions, let me know. But I hope that you see, one, number one, we've not arrived. Number two, uh, we've got room to grow. Number three, that this gives you hope. Like if I can mess that stuff up so big and still have a ministry today that's growing and helping so many people, you can also make the same changes in God. And then the fourth thing is I want you to see just how merciful God is. And how gracious God is. And don't you know that if you look at the Bible, like all of our heroes, they all messed up something. They were such a, a band of misfits and mess-ups. And yet when they turned and gave their heart to God, then God was able to use what they gave them and turn them into the heroes of faith that we know them today. Listen, you may not have been a hero of faith up to this point. But if you'll turn your heart to the Lord right now, you can be that hero that God wants to be. You don't have to live that old identity of your biggest failures. You can give those things to the Lord, his mercy and grace and his forgiveness. Turn everything and start heading up from this point and hit heights. You'll, you'll be the kind of person that somebody goes, I want to live a Christian life like them. That's who you can be, even though your life up to this point may have been a big failure. That's not where you have to stay. And if you receive that, just lift your hands right now. Father, let every person that's hearing this, let them walk on the new level. Let them run with you. Father, let them turn towards you and not hold on to condemnation, but receive your forgiveness and your grace to help them move through that, deny all ungodliness, and move to the perfection and holiness and the anointing that you have set forth in their life. Move to the place of your destiny. Move to the place of their purpose, Lord, and we thank you for it, and we praise you for it, and we receive that. Now, just receive this right now. Father, right now, pour out your anointing and your forgiveness. Lord, remove that condemnation. 
Give them that help and mercy. And you can just right now, as you're hearing this, say, Lord, I receive that. I receive help. I receive mercy. I receive the release of condemnation. I receive the Lord's forgiveness, and I receive his helping hand from this day forward. In Jesus' name, I have it now. Say that. I have it now, and I'm walking out of my biggest failures and into the biggest successes and wins and victories that Jesus is always leading me to. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory to God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. So, uh, buddy, put that uh, the teaching on the Sabbath up. If you haven't heard that, you definitely need to hear that. We'll put it in the description as well so it'll always be there. And uh, that's awesome. Hannah says this teaching has been super, super helpful. Glory to God. And we'll talk about some more tomorrow because there's things to watch out for, things to, things to avoid. And uh, if you have any questions, let us know. But uh, I'm going I'm to turn it over to Abigail to wrap it up. Also, to take up the offering today, if you feel led to sow today, uh, the Word tells us that when somebody has done well in the Word and they've helped us and taught us in that way, that we should be sowing into that. We shouldn't, you know, it's just like going into a fast food restaurant. We don't just go in there, grab a burger, and then expect that they're just going to let us go out and not pay for it. Well, you don't have to do that with the kingdom of God, but we shouldn't expect that we just take the word and run with it, take that spiritual nutrition, and that we shouldn't sow something into it. The Bible's clear about that. So as you receive the word, sow something in, and and Abigail's going to talk about that at giveww.org. We love you so very much. We'll see you tomorrow. We'll go into part two. Here she is. Amen, amen. Just like he was saying, the word says, sow into good soil. This broadcast for sure today has been good soil. And I know that God wouldn't have that. I know that God's not telling nobody to sow into this soil. So right now, seek your heart. Seek if the Lord's telling you right now to sow. And if he is, we've made it super easy and available for you to do so. And that wasn't a pun. (laughs) But guys, as you do this, this isn't just throwing your money away. The word says sow and believe for that harvest. As you sow, that shall you also reap. So put faith on this seed that it will bring about a harvest into your life. And if God's not telling you to, then no condemnation at all. Don't. We just ask that you're led. And you, if you are feeling led to sow, you can go to givewww.org. We have PayPal, text to give, all those wonderful things. But right now, Lord, thank you for every person who's sowing into your word, into this broadcast today. We praise you for them, and we thank you, Lord. Thank you for their seed. Thank you that it is planted into good soil, and thank you that you bring about their harvest quickly back into their hands. Shall it be multiplied in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.